It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on the American Outlaw News, the talk radio network on iHeartRadio, where you will hear Voice of Freedom and the Outlaw Truth. I'm your host, Sargis Singiri. For those who are hearing me for the first time, I am the uh, CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. I am a new member to the team, and I'm also a founder of the United Australian Appeal. A little bit about my background. Uh, I am an Iranian-born Assyrian and a retired Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Army Infantry and Special Operational Forces. With more than two decades of military experience, including multiple overseas deployments in various theaters of war. My background also has allowed me to be able to be the host of the weekly podcast, New Paradigms, with Sargis Singiri that goes live every Monday at 9 p.m. Central Time. And I do hold the International Press Association credentials. NECSC is a uh, geostrategic and policy think tank that has been founded by me on September 11th of 2014. And we were able to lead to multiple on-the-ground research projects, including fact-finding missions, most recently to East Africa, to encourage the involvement of the U.S. and the partners in the region. I'm also an advisor through the NECSC. As a senior advisory board, members have been added for the uh, Tripwire Advisory Board, which is a company that we support. And then also the uh, director of U.S. Government Relations for Ravens Challenge, a premier multi-jurisdiction counter-RED organization that's based on Thailand itself, and also international representative for the Legion of St. Michael Law Enforcement Community. It is uh, good to have everybody here. I want everyone to know that uh, American Out Loud Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen to us on our media players from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in the class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7 and now you can also hear them on the podcast on those same apps. My honored guest today is a uh, member of the family here specifically. He is General McInerney, a West Point graduate and former Vietnam War Air Force pilot. General McInerney serves as the U.S. Air Force Assistant Vice Chief and Staff, the third highest ranking Air Force officer. He flew over 400 combat missions and flew U.S. military reconnaissance missions during the Cuban Missile Crisis, served as a military assistant to the advisor to the Secretary of Defense on NATO Affairs, and was a commander of the Alaskan Air Command, Alaskan NORAD region, and the 11th Air Force. Sir, it is good to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Sargus. <laughs> Delighted to be on with you in your initial uh, voyage with us. Much appreciated. Uh, and I do want to start first, sir, uh, uh, really looking at what is happening regionally when we are talking about um, exactly where the U.S. is. Um, I do know that in uh, 2015, I had looked at uh, uh, after I came back from my uh, initial assessment and trip uh, advising the uh, PSIF Japan 
on an actual ISIS cell that was operating in Japan at that time, um, was able to also brief him on China's involvement uh, and the expanding role of what China is trying to do with modernizing their military. And I do know that at that time, after I came back in October 16, 2015, I did write the article, New Power Relations, which was a speech that Wang Yi had given with what he was proposing to the United States and at that time, the Obama administration, as to what the China-U.S. relationship should be. And as you know, unfortunately, um, when he gave that speech in September of 2012, uh, instead of Susan Rice coming out in Georgetown or Washington University and giving a different vision from the U.S. side or a counter to it, she actually talked about how we can actualize it. I just wanted to have your take as far as do you think that we're still in the process of the development of that plan of action, Wang Yi, or have you seen anything that is different? Well, I haven't seen anything that, that will differ from that. Uh, I go back a long way. As a wing commander in the Philippines in the Pacific, uh, <clears throat> I had a nuclear alert site up on Taiwan at CCK. That's how far I go back and uh, servicing as well as being the Pacific Air Force's uh, DCS for operations and intelligence. Uh, and I had uh, five tours in the Pacific. Um, I, I, as I look at what's going on there and what has transpired and where we are today, I have great concerns. Uh, I particularly think that President Trump had it spot on. And uh, President Obama, as well as President Biden, have got the wrong strategy. Uh, you, I just realized today that uh, the BRICS summit is in Johannesburg going on this week, and Putin's going to dial in on it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's dialing in the same way we're talking. Uh, that's because of the sanctions that we have against Putin because of the Ukraine. But uh, what what is going on with China, initially led by Barack Hussein Obama, followed up by uh, Joe Biden, who is really a puppet. Uh, the puppet master is Barack Hussein Obama, which I've been spending most of my time on in the last two and a half years after the 2020 election. I'm an election denier. I'm not trying to digress from your questions, but that's where my focus has been. And whereas previous uh, almost 20 years, well, it was 20 years, 19, I focused on the Middle East, what was going on out there, et cetera, and the changes. So uh, uh, this, our U.S. position which I know you have concerns about, and I do as well, on what we're doing with China, is driven by Barack Hussein Obama, who I believe is the puppet master. Uh, you look at the Secretary of State, you look at uh, the Secretary of Defense, you look at uh, the National Security Advisor. These are all... Obama clones. And uh, that's why I say that uh, we, we have a major problem that differs from the Trump strategy, 
which was make America great again and be dominant. Although I saw something this morning of the great movement of wealth out of China that is the private sector is doing because of their fear of uh, a Taiwan attack by China, which as this uh, financier was talking this morning on a videotape I watched, would mean an immediate go to zero on trade. Our supply chain would be crushed and everything, but China would be the biggest loser economically. That's why I think Taiwan is more a figment of people's imagination. They're making all the moves, but it would kill China's greatest strength, which as we all know is their economy, the second ranking economy in the world. So just so, you know, just so you know, sir, also, um, um, based on what you just said, is it the uh, U.S. Commerce Secretary will be visiting China next week. Um, and I think it's critical right now between the two countries, because if you're looking at the actual um, impact of what's happening in China, the China's consumer prices are falling. Um, real estate crisis is really deepening. Exports are now slumping. Uh, youth unemployment is at a record high for the Chinese. And the Hong Kong stock market has tumbled more than 20% from its January peak last week. And the Chinese won has fell to its lowest level in 16 years. So um, this is uh, somewhat uh, helping to tame the U.S. inflation. But uh, it is a major risk of a global recession that we had looked at. Uh, and just so you know, these same patterns did exist in 2019. And I will talk to you later on on the possibility of what steps China might have taken to be able to get a clash liquid influx into their coffers. Um, what do you think China's going to be doing if we're talking about, as I agree with you, that it is the same uh, 23 execs from the Obama administration that are advisory today? Uh, because if you even think about what um, at the time in 2014, Paul Ryan uh, had said, he described President Obama administration's work as a managed decline for the U.S. Um, do you think there's any way that uh, the current administration under Biden that is tied to the Obama administration can ever detach itself from the agreement they had with Wang Yi on the uh, China's vision for the uh, United States and China? when it comes to the next century? No, I don't believe they can. Uh, right now, as I said, uh, Obama is, is leading it. All his acolytes are implementing it. Uh, we know uh, Joe Biden is not, and, and that's the direction they're going because Obama's vision of a, of a future global world was where the United States was not the supreme superpower. Uh, he grew up under Frank Marshall Davis's knee and uh, on his knee and uh, a communist, uh, well-known. And he, he has that where he was brought up to believe that the U.S.'s superpower status was the cause of all, all problems in the world. He never articulated that because he knew he would have been uh, quickly uh, thrown out, but he was clever enough. He is, as uh, I saw President Trump said the other day, he is truly a Manchurian candidate. And so I do not see 
the Democratic Party, uh, which is really still under the tutelage of Barack Hussein Obama, at all changing their vision. They want the U.S. to be not a superpower, and they want the World Economic Forum and the Chinese Communist Party, all of us to be equal, and the elites running the world, not we the people. And so with that kind of background, I see no change. That's why we have this horrendous inflation. That's why the BRIC nations are meeting a summit in Johannesburg as we speak. And that's why uh, he has made the decisions of surrendering. Sargas, get this. We did not withdraw from Afghanistan. We surrendered in Afghanistan and turned over $85 billion worth of equipment to the Taliban, who we had defeated. Now, um, the open border strategy is designed on that. Look at the amounts of money, tax dollars that are going in to support the this onslaught of people coming in. Anybody in the world wants to come to America. And Biden, through the direction of Barack Hussein Obama, created the open borders the day he took office. Uh, energy independence. No country in the history of the world, Sargas, has ever given, and going back to biblical times, has ever given up energy independence. And we did it on the 20th of January, 2021, when uh, Joe Biden came in and created the Green Revolution, so to speak, which is just a myth. Um, and so all these things that he has done, critical race theory, and I'm talking about a whole host of different things that are different than uh, uh, talking about the Middle East strategy, but they impact directly our efforts in the Middle East and our leadership role. He does not want to have the United States as the superpower and the leader of the world spreading democracy, our constitution. Well, so, you know, they're all tied together. Um, I remember when the uh, uh, commander of the Assyrian forces, he became the commander eventually, and the Near East was um, basically Iran, tier one, tier two level missions in Syria and Iraq um, as advisory for the Assyrian Christians that were fighting against ISIS in 2014 to 2017. When he actually came to Chicago, sat in my house, I put a picture in front of him and I said, do you know who this is? It was a picture from World War One. It was a... Um, Kurdish captive under the Ottomans. And he said, I have no clue who that guy is. I said, this guy is tied to the family relations that are tied to the weapons of mass destruction that are coming out of Libya into Syria. And uh, and then I asked him, do you know what Japan did in uh, October of 2014? And he said, I don't know. I said, they bought a lot of U.S. debt. And he said uh, to me, what does that have to do with my guys dying in a village in northern Iraq? I need help. I said, if you don't understand what is happening globally, you're not going to be able to save your folks in that village in Iraq. And it was very important for us to be able to explain to the commander who just trying to fight and have the a certain Christian survive in both Iraq and Syria that uh, if you want the U.S., uh, policymakers, and at that time under President Obama, to make decisions in your favor, you have to understand what uh, basically web they have weaved for themselves and where they are. 
And there was absolutely no help that came for the Assyrian Christians in the Khabar Valley in Syria until finally uh, some of our, our allies, as we call them, that were operating there became a um, target by ISIS. Uh, and then the targeting of uh, ISIS began in Syria, even under Obama. So I do agree. And I think for our viewers, or I should say for our listeners to understand that everything's tied together. And this is what uh, the general is trying to get to. And nothing has uh, basically detached from itself. You have to know what is happening uh, to address the issues in a village in northern Iraq, what is happening globally uh, across the uh, spectrum. Sir, I'm, we're going to take a, a quick break and then we'll come back. I just want our listeners to know that uh, all my shows uh, go to podcasts. Typically, one or two days after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. You can also hear them on Spotify, uh, Pandora, and iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me and others who are on this radio network, which is the talk radio network on iHeart Radio. And then with that said, sir, we're going to take a short break again, come back, and I do want to dive deep a little bit into what the SEO does and uh, possibly some of the advice you could give to our strategic thinkers in the future. Much appreciated. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula, with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Welcome back for the second segment of our show. Today's guest is uh, um, U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney. Um, again, uh, um, he's had an exceptional uh, uh, time in service. Um, I do know that uh, when I was reading through his bio, I did look at the fact that uh, he was a multi-reconnaissance mission um, uh, during the uh, Cuban uh, Missile Crisis. Um, and... Uh, uh, 400 uh, combat missions, uh, really, that has been flown by him. Sir, I have a question for you. I do know that we're looking at the European war, and I, as I had said in the first segment where we're looking at the new power relations, um, and I had updated that in April of 21st, 2022, to where really it emphasized, again, what Susan Rice, Hillary Clinton, and uh, Vice President Biden had chosen to mirror the Chinese Communist Party Global Reset Plan 
that was initially titled uh, New Power Relations uh, and was proposed by Wang Yi and the Obama administration. Uh, but under that plan, really, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, America would have to cede Asia to China and by default, the CCP communist shackles, as I called it. And furthermore, either the European Union or Russia would dominate the nations of Europe. Uh, but unfortunately, in this process, uh, uh, Europe would see a return to the uh, somewhat of the neo-fascist structures of the old. And the U.S., uh, for its part, would have to retreat within its borders. Um, I do see the Ukraine war as nothing more than a kind of a larger plan of a reset to still meet that vision requirement. Is there anything you disagree on on that, or is there something that I'm missing in the focus of what might be happening in the European war and how we're supporting it? No, I'm in violent agreement with you, Sargas. You get it. And uh, you get that vision that uh, China would love us to, uh, to give up, to give up dominance in the Pacific. And as I, I mentioned when I started, I actually had eight or nine tours in the Pacific because four of them were in Vietnam. And then I was in, uh, uh, so it was eight. I was in the Philippines com as a commander, Okinawa, so part of Japan as a commander, uh, DCS Ops Intel, as I told you, for the Pacific Air Forces. And then, as you mentioned, the commander in Alaska, as a subunified commander in the Pacific of, in those days, Pacific Command, now Indo-China Command. But uh, I know I'm in violent agreement with you. And But as I said, it all drives toward Barack Hussein Obama's desire for the U.S. to lose its dominant superpower status and, and guide the world as we have since the end of World War II and even it out where China, Russia, more involved, uh, the, the powers in the Middle East, all of them in greater roles than the U.S. Uh, they were not interested in the U.S. spreading our constitution, which history will later judge us and our founding fathers to have written the greatest document for mankind in history. So I'm in violent agreement what you're saying and talking about the uh, SCO and what the SCO, and for because a lot of our listeners have not heard us talk about the SCO before, and that's the uh, Shanghai Cooperative Organization that uh, China and Russia formed in the mid-90s, and uh, that was a competitor with NATO and our other alignments around the world, and that's why the Brexit is meeting, and the BRICS, rather, summit is going on now. It's building different competitive alliances, economic, as well as, in some cases, military, uh, that they'll morph into. Uh, that will take away our dominance and the important role that we have. And that is all Barack Hussein Obama's vision. And uh, you understand it as well as any, anyone I know. 
and how it impacts a village in Syria as well as in Iraq. Well, you know, sir, it's, you know, this was an issue that we started seeing when I was on the ground uh, conducting combat operations. You know, when uh, President Obama decided he was going to leave the Middle East, he invited everybody else in. So the Russians, the Iranians, uh, the uh, Turks, um, the Saudis, the, the problem was then you would have to take everybody's kind of a measure of what they want to achieve. When in the region, in this case, if the Iranians are there, this China Corporation Organization is there, that means the Chinese are there. Uh, and to make a decision, it became very difficult, uh, even at the lower levels. So I think that's one thing that he missed. And the other piece, I would say what it did lead into, and I do want to kind of look at what happened with COVID, too, because it's important. It did affect uh, how nations, in this case, the Chinese Communist Party, take steps to protect their interests to ensure that this plan comes together. And uh, I don't know if our, a lot of our viewers know, as I said earlier, that I do also a podcast, uh, New Paradigms of Sargis and Gary, every Monday, uh, Central Time. Um, but um, when I looked at a couple of weeks ago as to what was a pattern that came out of um, uh, COVID. Uh, and I had written an article uh, for uh, local newspapers here, the Daily Herald. Uh, I had come back from a regional assessment in December of 2019 because we knew something's coming out of Asia. We weren't sure what. So I was in Korea doing an assessment, came back. I was very badly sick uh, after my return in January, even before uh, we uh, kind of started from a country perspective, looking at what to do against COVID, uh, you know, we had already pulled a thousand people out of mission in China in January. I wrote the article as far as the origins of COVID are concerned, but none of the newspapers here wanted to publish it. Finally, after major rewrites, I asked Daily Herald to let me at least go somewhere else to publish this. So in April, I actually published it in Japan Forward. Uh, fully knowing that Japan was going to go through a lockdown. But one thing in my assessment that I didn't really kind of link, analyze until one of my uh, uh, our guys who works with us, Ron Reese, uh, Intel uh, buddy of mine, sat down and we saw the link analysis that before the fears of the recession that uh, were driven by the impact of the COVID-19, there's a funding squeeze in the fall and the winter of 2019. That was caused uh, as yet um, on uh, identified factors. Uh, what is known uh, now, as we're looking back at it, that it wasn't going to be able to fix the financial issues that the Chinese were going through. So the financial systems after the 2008 financial crisis uh, had really taken a hit. And in this particular case, uh, the Federal Reserve balance sheet uh, that was set up to basically protect us, realized that there is no liquidity in the system. And uh, it was going to hit the markets really bad, not just in the U.S., but uh, the Chinese government, in this case, the Chinese communist government, basically uh, economic status footprint was going to completely collapse. And lo and behold, COVID hits and uh, liquidity in this introduced to save the Chinese. We're again, as I mentioned earlier in the previous segment with uh, the Secretary of Commerce heading to China, we're again starting to hear some um, 
basically simple notes coming out if you do open source link analysis as to, hey, we might have to go back to COVID lockdowns. There's a huge pandemic, uh, possible effects out of Canada and other places, a new variant hitting, which again is going to introduce possibly more liquid dollars from the U.S. into the system to preserve China's failing economy. Um, Is there anything that you have been able to see or there's any policymakers out there you've been able to talk to that is addressing this possible as a factor that we need to be aware and be careful that China doesn't use another COVID hit against us with new variants that is going to, again, flip the script to ensure that they're viable when it comes to liquid cash available being presented to them from the United States? Well, I think they will try to do it again. Uh, you, I think you understand, but in 2005, the Chinese uh, equivalent of the chairman of their Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Hao Tian, promulgated a new strategy for global dominance without using kinetic means called unrestricted warfare. And that was, they would gain dominance over the U.S., by using massive biological warfare, i.e. COVID-19, and massive cyber warfare, i.e. hammer and scorecard in the 2020 election. Now, they did, when they promulgated this strategy, these tools were not available at that time. And the reason I'm giving this background, because it's going right into what you're saying, but it's important that our, our listeners understand, because... Barack Hussein Obama and the Democrats have been players in this. They helped fund the gain of function on COVID-19 with Wuhan. We funded with U.S. dollars that. And we could go into the details now. I've talked about it quite a bit before. But we are equally guilty of it. And uh, what we are are facing is uh, that unrestricted warfare for global dominance without using kinetic warfare, which you understand is, is what you're leading into what China wants to do again in this, as we lead into the 2024 election. So you will see another biological attack, not a pandemic. Sorry, I'm saying that was a deliberate biological attack by the Chinese in concert with the Democratic Party of the United States. This is not tin hat stuff. They promulgated that. These issues, the Democratic Party is shaping for power. It all has to do with power. Why is Barack Hussein Obama the only president that never left Washington, D.C.? Woodrow Wilson didn't, but that's because he had a stroke and was a medical issue. George Washington went back to Mount Vernon, Virginia. So why is Barack Hussein Obama live in Calorama with the skiff in his basement and loads of black vehicles, meaning U.S. government vehicles, are always piled up at his home there and the press has not said anything about it? This I got from Barack Hussein Obama's biographer. 
wrote that in an article asking the question, why hasn't the press? So there is compelling evidence. What's going on is through Barack Hussein Obama. I mean, everybody knows Joe Biden. He's a doofus. It's embarrassing to say our, our president is a doofus. But look, he can't even carry on a conversation. They're talking about putting him on, on the witness stand. He couldn't go on the witness stand to defend Hunter. He is Hunter's master. He was setting Hunter up. All these things are not digressions. They're part of this scheme for dominance by the Democrats that are no longer Democrats. They are a communist party. The front door of communism is socialism. And that's why these huge budgets that they're running up and fanning this money out. I mean, you just saw the major electrical bus company just fail, just like the solar panel company did under uh, Obama. All these things are designed. The green strategy, global warming is a Marxist strategy. Critical race theory is a Marxist strategy. I was in a military that we didn't care what skin color the people were. And now they want to have it as a dominant issue. And they're teaching it in the service academies, in the uh, NCO academies, in our schools and all that. Sargas, all this is related together. It is an information operations campaign of a group of Democrats that are really communists that want to change our role globally and change our constitution and everything that's going on that we've talked about from the Russian hoax to the uh, uh, issues going on in Congress uh, under the Democrats are all related to what you're talking about on what is the global role of the U.S. And I'm talking the impeachment one, impeachment two, all this, the Mueller investigation, all this is related. I must tell you that the Maui fire, I believe, is related to this. This is part of like weekly, we have events that come up that confuses. I'm not trying to digress so much, but it is related. Can anybody imagine that what happened in Maui? Not one, not one of the residences of the elites that live on Maui, Oprah Winfrey, Bezos, Lady Gaga, Larry Ellison, Julia Roberts, Smith, Bill Gates, John Kerry, not one of those people had any damage on their multi-million dollar estates on Maui. Yet look what happened to Lahaina. And why yeah. didn't they send Byron? So I'm not trying to digress, but this is all related to what you were talking about, to the SCO. What's going on with America? No, well, it, look, it's all tied to the SCO, right? And SCO was, as you said, set up to counter NATO and uh, really expand China's uh, ability to affect uh the rest of the globe and actually bring about the vision that Wang Yi had uh, proposed. Um, 
it's the reality. These are open source information we're talking about. Nothing here is really kind of hidden. It's just a matter of trying to link them together to understand how uh, information ops can be used against Americans themselves. And as you were saying, even here in Illinois, they just uh, proposed a law that the uh, governor will sign that will require doctors to have to get cultural uh, training uh, uh, prior to even being able to really uh, be certified on a yearly basis to be able to see patients that have medical issues and could care less about uh, what the skin color of the uh, doctor who's dealing with them is. But I want to make sure uh, we're going to come up to our third leg of our segment, sir. I do, um, when I bring you back, I do want to ask you some uh, questions about uh, brand new tech and discoveries that we're seeing even on the battlefields today. Um, but for our viewers out there, again, you can find out more about our show, my show, and get all the latest podcasts. If you go to the menu navigation bar at AmericanOutloud.com under our show or schedule, and you will be able to uh, know what are the new topics that we're going to be discussing today. But that's it, a short break. While the cancel culture destroys our history, bringing crime and terror to city streets, AmericaOutloud.news will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Again, welcome back to the National Security Hour, where I'm speaking with my special guest today, John McInerney. And um, again, for our viewers out there, uh, keep in mind, or I should say for our listeners out there, keep in mind that um, you can, uh, again, uh, find us uh, and be sure to make AmericanOutloud.com your daily stop for the latest news and happenings. Uh, we all must do our part and share the stories or articles and videos so that we can help secure America's future. And this is the reason why we have guests like General McInerney here today to speak to us. Sir, with that said, I do want to kind of look at what you can advise. Of course, I understand the current administration is probably not going to listen, but possible future administration, maybe policymakers out there who actually do care and understand what is happening to our nation. I would be interested on your insights uh, as far as regarding what we're learning with the utilization of drones, not even on the battlefield in Ukraine and their evolving role in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, specifically, my curiosity would be your perspective on the diverse range of missions that remotely uh, uh, piloted drones could potentially undertake for us in our war against the SCO in the future. Well, although I've been retired for a number of years, um, 
I happened to have stayed involved and I'm a chairman of an edge cloud company. Now, Sargus and Edge Cloud Company is, uh, you all, you know what a cloud company is, and you've got Amazon, uh, Oracle, IBM, uh, Microsoft. They're clouds, but they're enterprise clouds, and their data centers are as big as the Pentagon. I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but they don't go to the battlefield. Now, you spent a lot of time in the battlefield. I did, too. Uh, And uh, as a commander, and as this data came in, when I was in uh, uh, Pacific Air Forces as the DCS Ops Intelligence, we used to get the video from the satellites. They would drop out of a parachute, and we would collect it this was before electronic means. We would collect it with the C-130. And that, that I go back to the start of this data. And uh, the reason I'm giving this background, uh, being a fighter pilot, uh, you know, you'd say, well, I'm not interested in, uh, in drones because I was a single seat fighter pilot, and flew a lot of, lot of missions, et cetera. But today, with hypersonic weapons and with UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles, drones, which our audience understands better, they provide continuous survey of the battle space. Now, what you've got to do is you've got to be able to integrate them with all your other assets. But my edge cloud, which we were deployed to Bagram, for a program, I won't go to it, but um, we got that program got out of there. But the fact is, when you can get a continuous picture of the battlefield, take uh, your days in combat and deployments. If you could on either your laptop, your iPhone, or the desktop at the uh, headquarters. Um, if you could see in color where all the enemy forces were, as well as friendly forces, as well as allied forces in vision, red over blue over green, over yellow, meaning unknown. Just envision that because there's so much data. I can store in my edge cloud trillions of objects in the battle space. And so the value of the UAVs is we're seeing of the drones. Uh, is played a major role in the Ukraine. I gave the Ukrainians two weeks to last against the Soviets, against the Russians, excuse me. I lived in a world when they were Soviets. I didn't mention I was the vice commander-in-chief of U.S. Air Forces in Europe at the height of the Cold War under President Reagan. We had five field armies facing us in East Germany, and uh, every day I would get a picture. But now with the technology today and what the UAVs give us, and not only an ability to, to bring in as an uh, intelligence surveillance or reconnaissance asset, also to be a weapons, as we have used with the uh, 
current drones we have firing off missiles with them. And uh, so uh, they are changing the way war is fought with a hypersonic weapon where if you're in a, say, an F-35 today and you're in Korea and you see behind the, the forward edge of the battle area, the FIBA, you can see 300 miles back and you've got an SS uh, of 400 or a 500 or maybe six or seven or 800, the future ones, and you can detect that, which is a huge threat to air power. And you can immediately move that data back to the field and the army, as you probably realize, is looking at these uh, long range precision weapons that they can reach out a thousand miles. And if that data flows back electronically, whether it's deliberately sent from the F-35 or bounced off uh, uh, an AWACS or a, a Joint Stars or whatever, a tanker, and as it's replicated around the battle space, and that battalion commander, who's a captain, sees that this S-400 or S-500 is 800 kilometers away, that will be a threat to us. Uh, he has a system that'll take him, say it takes two minutes. I'm giving you too much, but you'll understand this. No, I understand, to... sir. And uh, for, for our viewers out there, or I should say listeners, uh, uh, basically what the general's describing is uh, his thoughts on which roles these advanced technologies uh, could most effectively fulfill within the realm of modern multi-operations. Um, so if they look at it from our if our if our listeners are listening to this and go back, I would encourage you to listen to this broadcast again. Um, you'll understand exactly how uh, the general is laying it out. I think it's easy for me to understand it, sir, because you and me speak the same language. I just want to give a little bit of a clarification for our uh, the civilians that might be listening out there. And, and I appreciate that. But that that captain who's a battery commander for those long range precision fires can see that because my system replicates to everybody now you understand uh that there is a bit of a threat sargas that the intelligence people like to analyze it first and then give it to the operator today's technology allows you to give it to the operator real time and so it takes two minutes to get to that battery commander save for just reasons of this discussion it takes him two minutes to program it and then to go to, say, a 1,000 miles, that takes with a hypersonic weapon, that may take four minutes. And so you have a total of eight minutes that you strike that target. Today, that would take us eight hours with our thinking. And so Amazing. you see what we talked about is compressing the kill chain in the battle space. So right, my, my my question here would be, though, there's one thing I do want to make sure if you can address it. Um, I'd be interested in uh, the uh, ethical factors that you would consider uh, critical for the employment of the, of the drone technology. And uh, um, how can we ensure that there's responsible and ethical use of the tool uh, on the battlefield as, as a f uh, fighter and at the same time safeguarding civilian lives and upholding those international norms 
even though we're trying to still achieve the national security objectives in a shorter process time. Um, have Do you have any thoughts on that or how would you address it? Well, what you just talked about is the concerns in a, uh, a warfare, limited warfare like you fought in and were so concerned with. I grew up as a boy going into Germany in 1948 and seeing everything flat, civilian cities destroyed. We went by ship by Bremerhaven, went to Frankfurt, came out of the Bahnhof. It was flat. She could see around, went down to Stuttgart. It was flat. We lived in a little town. My father was an army colonel, and he ran the BMW and the Mercedes factories over there that were rebuilding vehicles from World War II. We did not, in World War II, consider the question that you just asked me. So there are, there are events in warfare in which we'll not consider that, which were such a dominant, dominant decision of the wars you fought in. It was paramount. We were very concerned. And that just takes time. But we saw from what went on in the evacuation out of uh, um, uh, Afghanistan and, and what happened in Kabul and that last detonation of a suicide bomber killing 13 U.S. soldiers and Marines and one airman, I believe, uh, that's not in their consideration. So it's a good question. I will not go into it here. It could be handled, but it takes time. I gave you an example of a kill chain compression. And when you look at artificial intelligence, he would reprogram that battery commander would reprogram it verbally huh. and 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 cut your your time down even more. I just use notional times as you know. But my my point is that's what this technology is doing. It is squeezing time in the kill chain. And it's very important its impact will have on our success if we adopt it. And and I on that issue we talked about, if they decide to come to Taiwan, that's 100 miles across the straits there. It is not going to be as easy. And, and the reason the uh, Russians failed in, uh, in the Ukraine was, you know, they were going to have at Kiev, they were going to seize the airfield there. And uh, the first two aircraft coming in, leads were taken out with uh, shoulder-fired missiles. And all of a sudden, you have one man, which was different than D-Day. The whole airborne concept of operations has changed. Nobody has talked very much about having. But what you were talking about on drones and precision weapons, uh, drones could have been used to take out those airplanes coming in if you're talking airborne. The airborne division concept of operations, I believe, is no longer alive the casualties would be much too high by using this technology. The whole battlefield has changed. When one man with uh, uh, an anti-tank weapon can take out a T-80 tank or whatever it is, which we have done over there with our uh, precision weapons. One guy, they're, they're about a four-man team there, 
but they can take out a tank. It has changed dramatically what we've seen in the Ukraine. And that's why the Ukrainians have lasted going on a year and a half. No one, no one that I know of would have predicted that, Sardis. There's no, no way you could nobody predict did. that. Nobody did. Uh, every general nobody. officer thought that it would have been uh, absolutely game over. As you know, we have a whole saying in the uh, army. We would say, you know, God loves uh, big armies. And uh, right. maybe maybe that still stands true. You never know. The Russians are capable of taking major losses and then still come back historically and winning the final battle. But um, we'll have to see how it turns out uh, with what is happening on the battlefield. You know, um, I do want to kind of um, shift gears here a little bit as we're getting close to the closing with uh, just a few minutes left. Um We are having the um, uh, ice caps uh, melt. And the implication, I guess, here would be for the global maritime traffic uh, with the North Pole uh, poised to become a viable year-round commercial route, as you saw yourself with the Chinese and the Russians now, you know, pressing Alaska. Uh, what strategic counsel would you be able to offer the policymakers giving you understanding of drone technologies and new techs out there, um, I guess, to balance the imperative of... Um, unimpended uh, navigation, I guess I would say, against a backdrop of U.S. security concerns and, and this, what we would call, I guess, the complex challenges uh, um, that I'm not sure if the current administration is able to deal with. Or wants to deal with it. Look, I'm one of the few people you'll interview that's been to the North Pole. As a commander of Alaskan Command, I went up there when a submarine surfaced through the ice, and that was interesting in itself. But uh, there is is traffic, but it's not nearly the degrees what people think. I had a major exercise going on in Alaska when the outside temperature with the Light Infantry Division under my command, because I was a Joint Force Commander in Alaska. I had a numbered Air Force. 11th Air Force, I had a 6th Infantry Division, a Light Infantry Division in those days, and uh, no naval forces. But the fact is, I went up to the North Pole and landed there uh, on the ice and then watched, watched this submarine pop up through the ice and went then down into the sub once the uh, con was there. But but getting to answer your question, it is extremely important. Uh, China, Russia, they are, are focusing on it. We are doing it more than we have, but we've still got, what, one icebreaker, I think, up there that could do it. Um, it clearly in the air power side, I would send airplanes from Alaska down into Germany to Ramstein, where my old headquarters, when I was vice commander in chief of US Air Forces in Europe, command, uh, we had the largest theater nuclear forces in history. Uh, but uh, I would send them down for a weekend cross country just to show people how you can go from Alaska down into Europe and how when you use the pole as an air route, which the airlines have used greatly, but the potential for sea routes is there as well. So it is a very important to know about. It was a great experience for me. I was there four plus years. 
and uh, operating there. And I, I brought NATO forces over. Again, this was still at the height of the Cold War. So that's the experience that I, that I bring and relate back to you, having done it. Today, it's entirely different world in Europe and what we have in the forces, what's going on in the Ukraine, but lessons to be learned. The bottom line is, it is imperative that the United States be the supreme superpower of the world. And we have an administration led by Democrats who are really communists that want to change that global power. It is imperative that we do not, and that's why Donald J. Trump is so important to make America great again. And we can do it. We have the energy. We have all these things you're talking about that that enable a, a nation to be a dominant power. And uh, that's Sir. why what this administration is doing to me is treasonous, as was Barack Hussein Obama. Both of them are treasonous activities. Sir, we're gonna uh, we're gonna end it at that note with your closing thoughts. Much appreciated again. America does have the capability and the leadership. Um, it's just a matter of getting the right people in place to make sure that we could counter what is happening globally against us and also internally against us. Uh, General McNary, it was a, a blessing having you here on the show. Much appreciated. Um, and we will have you back again. Uh, I do want to thank uh, our audience also for joining us on this mission. The National Security Hour is the tip of the sphere and the uh, epic battle to defend the United States of America. And with that said, we will see you again uh, next month. God bless.